All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Colossians, chapter 4. And we're going to study the last about 11 or 12 verses in Colossians 4, verses 7 through 18. So if you're using the Bible that we provided for you, that'll be on page 985. Page 985 of the Bibles we provided for you. And uh, before we read our text, I I want to ask you a question. How will you spend your life? Maybe to put that another way, when you get to the end of your life, how will you have spent your life? You see, I think we could maybe boil it down and find the answer for how we would want to spend our life by looking at the life of Christ. We know that the Gospels teach us that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so I know that we kind of get caught up in the day-to-day and what's going on in the here and now, but think forward with me and think about the end of your life. How will you have spent your life? Will you have spent your life primarily on yourself, on your own desires, living life for your own pursuits and pleasures, or will you spend your life primarily for the sake of God and the sake of others? As we think about what it means to live our lives well, I think we could simplify and say that for those of us who focus on ourselves and look to ourselves and look to our own needs and desires consistently, we will one day look back with a lot of regret. But those of us who will take our eyes off of ourselves, look to God, have the eye for the other person around us, we're going to see that God can use us greatly. And that is what we're going to find in Colossians 4, 7 through 18. I want to read this text for us, and what this text is going to teach us this morning is that we should go hard for God by serving and investing our lives into the lives of others. That's ministry, and that's what we're going to explore this morning together. This is what Paul writes, and these are his final greetings. This is what he says. He says this, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas, 
Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Now, you may be thinking, man, you know, like I know that we value the Bible here and we want to really understand what God's word has to say to us in all the parts, but I mean, are we really gonna take a whole Sunday and look at these greetings, these final greetings? I mean, is there anything in here for us? It just seems like Paul's saying, hey, you know, tell this person what's up and how you doing and this is kind of what's going on and here's a summary of everything. And, and so why would we spend a whole sermon on final greetings. Well, number one, all scripture is profitable, right? Even down to the final greetings. But number two, I really believe that we can glean several principles from this passage on what it means to spend our lives for the sake of others by serving them and investing our life in them. That's ministry. And to be precise, I think we're going to find 12 principles here that we can take and apply for our own ministry that God gives us. So number one, what is is the first lesson that we learn? Well, uh, number one, ministry is for everyone. Ministry is for everyone. By everyone, we mean those who belong to the church, God's people, right? And we see this when Paul talks about Tychicus, and he, and he says that he belongs to God's spiritual family. He calls him a beloved brother. He says that he is a, a servant, what, in the Lord. And so let me just propose to you that it, it will be impossible for you to give away that which you've never received. Do you know the saving grace of God? Have you been filled with God's spirit and now are able to distribute what you have freely received from God? This is what is the common denominator for all of these people here in Colossians 4, 7 through 18. And we find 11 different people mentioned in these final greetings. But What do we learn about these people? We say ministries for everyone. What do we learn about these people? Well, let's look at the diversity here. Number one, we have ethnic diversity. We have Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Greeks. We have diversity in gender. We have males and we have nympha, a female, serving in the church. We have different social classes. We have Luke, the beloved physician, who's a doctor, and Onesimus, who is a slave. We have people from different backgrounds. Tychicus was from the province of Asia. Aristarchus was from Thessalonica. John Mark was from Jerusalem. And Onesipus and Epaphras were from Colossae. And this is, you know this if you've been here long, this is who we want to be as a church. We want people from Medford, and Malden, and Somerville, and Cambridge, and Boston, and we are fine if you've moved here, relocated. We want people from the Northeast, the Northwest, the Southeast, the Southwest. We want people from all over the world. 
whether you've moved here from Europe or Asia or Africa, we believe God's beauty is displayed when people from diverse backgrounds can come together. Because why? The gospel is for all people, and so is the work of ministry. So let me ask you this morning, do you believe that God can use you to accomplish his purposes in the world? Can God use you to accomplish his purposes? I want to tell you, Jesus chose some regular, ordinary dudes to be his followers. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were nothing special. In Acts chapter 4, it says that they were ordinary, uneducated men. But God used them for his purposes, and he still does this today. He uses people like me and you, to fulfill this purposes. And why is that? Well, I think it's what Paul gets at in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, where he says, we have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel, the treasure of Christ in these jars of clay. He, he uses this metaphor to, to talk about a common everyday vessel. Why? We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power is from God and not from us. That's why he's interested in using people like you and me. And so there is probably someone here today that thinks you've blown it with God. You've blown it and God would not be interested in using me in ministry but let me encourage you, God is writing a story in each of our lives and the final chapter has not been written yet. Which brings us to our second principle in ministry that we find here in Colossians 4, that ministry involves extending a second chance. We see this in the lives of two people here. Uh, number one, Onesimus. He was, as I shared, a runaway slave. He had bolted from his responsibilities to his master Philemon. But as he was gone, he meets up with this guy named Paul who leads him to Christ, and, and God takes this ordinary runaway slave named Onesimus, and he goes back and he actually is used to give this update on what's happening with Paul. God is a God of the second chance. We see this again in, in, in the life of Mark. Verse 10 talks about how that Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, greets you. Maybe you've heard of Mark. He wrote one of the Gospels. But way before he penned one of the Gospels about Jesus Christ, he was a traveling companion to Paul and Barnabas on their early missionary journeys. And in Acts 15, we see that there is this sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas because uh, this, this guy named Mark had deserted them on one of their early missionary journeys. And Paul is saying, look, we can't take him again with us. He got out of here last time, but, but Barnabas wants to take him. And, and so what's, what's the, the story there? Never forget that God is a God of a second chance. There is no one beyond the, the reach of God's grace. And so as we minister to others, may we always have in our mind that God can transform any person's life. It's, ministry is for everyone. Ministry can reach anyone. It involves 
extending a second chance. And then thirdly, ministry is about serving. Look, at, look in the text how it describes in verse 7, Tychicus. It says that he is a fellow servant in the Lord. And then in verse 12, we see that Epaphras is a servant of Christ Jesus. See, ministry is not about having our name in lights. Ministry is about putting others before ourselves. We would do well to take the posture of John the Baptist when he was speaking of Jesus and he said, he must become greater, I must become less. He must increase, I must decrease. In light of how Jesus has served us in the gospel, is there any person, any task that we would not be willing to engage in and serve? So let me ask you, are you finding outlets, both inside the church and outside of the church, to serve and to give your life away and to put others before yourself? There are all kinds of opportunities, even here in the life of Redemption Hill. I mean, if you want to serve inside the church, then let us know. We would love to hook you up with one of our serve teams, First Impressions, Music and Media, Children's Ministry, and many of you are serving, and for that, we say thank you. What about service opportunities outside of the church? We're constantly looking for ways to serve our city and to display and to declare the gospel to them. And so on December 21st, we're gonna have an opportunity to come together and work together to serve a Christmas dinner to a number of families through one of our local partners, the Boys and Girls Club here in Medford. And so perhaps you can make a side dish for that meal. Perhaps you can come and help us set up. Perhaps you can come and maybe be a table host. We'll need all kinds of help for that outreach service opportunity. So ministry is about serving. And then a fourth principle is this. Ministry is about encouragement. Ministry includes encouragement. What what does Paul say in, in, in verse 8? He says that he's sending Tychicus to them so that they might know how Paul is and that he might encourage their hearts. He goes on to say in verse 11 about these uh, fellow workers that they have been a comfort to Paul. We need encouragement. We need to stir one another up toward love and good deeds. We need to lift up the brokenhearted and comfort the downcast. This is what Paul is trying to to teach us here as he uh, talks about Tychicus being a source of encouragement. I mean, can you imagine a world void of encouragement? You're putting work in. You're doing your best. You're putting your best foot forward in your workplace, in your home, in the classroom. And after each project is done, after each assignment is turned in, after each meal is cooked and dishes washed, you just receive like no response. No encouragement, no job well done. That would be pretty deflating, right? It would be pretty discouraging, but God understands that we need this in our spiritual lives as well. Hey, man, I'm praying for you. 
hey, you're doing a great job, man. You really display the character of God by serving someone else. Hang in there, persevere, look to the cross. God is with you. This is why the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 3.13, but let us encourage one another as long as it is called today so that you may not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So we are to encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today. And when we do, we're going to find that that will lift up that other person, but in the process, our own souls will be lifted up. As ministry involves encouragement. Number five, ministry is a group project. Do you see that all of these people, Paul had a group of people that were with him in ministry. How was Paul going to declare the gospel to all of these people? How was Paul going to see a disciple made out of all these new believers? How was Paul going to go back and check up on all these new churches that had been started through his ministry? Here's the answer. He wasn't going to do it by himself. He was going to incorporate people who shared a same mind, a same heart, and were about the same task. And they were going to accomplish more together than they could individually. And this is how we want to go about ministry at Redemption Hill. I learned this lesson when I was a, an intern in college. I was the... the youth intern at my church. The fancy title was like associate minister to students, all right? But basically meant whatever the youth minister needed me to do, that was my job. And we had this building. It was just a block away from uh, our church. It was called, we called it Geoschmucks. And that was supposed to be like a cool name for the kids to want to come and bring their friends to, you know, youth group. Uh, the reason that we called it Geoschmucks is because it had G-O-W Schmuck at the top of the building. And that was apparently the person's name who maybe founded one of these uh, early businesses in Owensboro, Kentucky. But as the intern, I had the privilege of cleaning out Geoschmucks after the doors were closed on that spot for ministry. So you can imagine two floors filled with all kinds of junk, old, worn out boards and uh, building materials. And um, we had to take all these chairs and pews and rip them out the stage. And this was basically my job. And it was at that point that I learned, man, we need help in ministry. I got so frustrated day after day, truckload after truckload, doing all that work myself, and finally I got some help. The youth minister had mercy on me and sent me a little help. But we know this, right? We can do so much more together than we can uh, by ourselves. Ministry is a group project. Number six, ministry may include suffering. Think about this. Where is Paul writing this letter? He's writing this letter from prison, right? And, and Paul knew that, hey, for me to serve Christ might include personal suffering. He was willing to pay the price for Christ. And we find this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 22 through 29. I want you to listen to this because here what Paul's doing is he's laying out his credentials for ministry. There were these other ministers, they were called... Uh, 
by Paul, super apostles. They were going around talking about how great they were so that people would listen to them. And so Paul lays out his credentials and he lays them out by saying, look at how I am willing to suffer for Christ. Listen to this. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robber, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches." Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? So are we willing to pay a price for the sake of serving others? Are we willing to follow Christ on the road of discipleship and say, my life is not precious to me if I can but lay it down for the sake of others, even if that includes to one degree or another? suffering in our life. Ministry may include suffering. And then number seven, ministry is work. I hope you're encouraged here. Ministry is work. It's going to take time. It's going to take investment. The investment of your life into the life of another. That's ministry. And so just to get practical here, as you look at your life, as you look at your calendar, I know, all right, of all places in America, like we are really busy people here in greater Boston. It's one thing I love about Boston. Boston is filled with ambitious people, people that are willing to, to make sacrifices, to excel in their fields. But let's take a look at our life and in all of our busyness, is there something that we can sacrifice so that we'll have more time to invest in ministry? Is there, is there something that we can free up, maybe a good pursuit in your life that you can set aside so that you'll have more time to serve others and invest in the life of others? This passage teaches us that, that ministry is work. And in verse 11, he calls Aristarchus and Mark and Justice fellow workers for the kingdom of God. In verses 12 and 13, he says that Epaphras worked hard for the Colossians. And so it takes time and investment in ministry to get the job done. Number eight, we, we learned that ministry should be covered in prayer. It says that Epaphras worked hard. Look at, look at verse 12 again. It says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So it says that Epaphras is struggling. How was he struggling? In his prayers for them. 
This has been a theme all throughout the book of Colossians. In chapter one, Paul is praying for the Colossians on their behalf. In 4.2, he says to them, continue to devote yourself steadfastly to prayer. And then here at the end of the chapter, we find that he has this example in Epaphras and then also a final request for the Colossians to pray for him. How does he, how does he put it? So pointedly, he just says, remember my chains. In other words, remember me in your prayers as you bring your requests before God. So prayer should be the air that we breathe as believers in Christ. Number nine, ministry aims for maturity. We see this in the prayer of Epaphras. He says that he is struggling on their behalf. Why? That they may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. This, this word, to stand, mature, it means to, to hold firmly to, to stay in this place. Why? So that, that they might be mature in Christ. So we encourage, we work, we pray, we serve, we even suffer. Why? So that people might make progress in their faith. Do you long to see growth in the life of others? Do you see growth even in your own life? This is what ministry is about. This is what the, 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 the life of pursuing God and knowing Christ and following him is about, that we would not stay where we are when we meet Christ, but that we would continue on with him and grow in him. So our life should not look like it did two years ago, five years ago. We should be moving on to maturity. And this is what we want to see happen at Redemption Hill Church. We want to, of course, grow wider through seeing more and more people connect with us. That's why next Sunday we're gonna have Bring Sunday just as kind of a catalyst for us to really be thinking about those people in our life who need Jesus, need a healthy church so that we can hopefully bring them with us to worship next Sunday. Or if maybe there is someone in your life that you would wanna invite to the Christmas party on December 9th, we wanna continue to see more and more people come into the life of our church, but we don't just wanna grow wider, we want to grow deeper. We want people to more and more and more experience the fruit of the Spirit in their life, to grow in such a way that they're giving evidence that Christ reigns in their heart. We want to grow wider and we want to grow deeper. Then number 10, we, we ask, well, why is it so important to, to continue growing with God? Well, number 10, ministry is filled with temptation. You say, well, Tanner, I don't, I don't see this in the passage. Where do you get that? Well, I see it by the name of a man named Demas. Look in verse 14, it says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. So we come to find, as we read the New Testament, that four years later, after Paul had written to the Colossians, he writes this second letter to one of his pupils in the ministry. His name was Timothy. And at the end of Timothy, chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, 
This is what he writes. He says this, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. You hear that? Demas, who sends greetings to the Colossians, now, four years later, has deserted Paul. Why? Because he was in love with the present world. Look, just because we are in ministry and engage in ministry doesn't mean that we won't be consistently tempted to stray away from God and from his plan for our lives. What's more important than starting well in life? What's more important than starting your ministry well, starting your marriage well, starting your life well? I'll propose it's finishing well. We want to finish well, and there are all kinds of temptation that come our way as we seek to live our life for God and to serve others. So we need to be on our guard and go the distance in faithfulness to Christ. Number 11, ministry is about fulfilling what God puts before us. Look back in verse 17. Check this out with me, if you will. He says, And say to Archippus, See that you fulfill your ministry that you have received in the Lord. Another translation says, Complete the work that you have received in the Lord. Can you imagine how invigorating this must have been for this guy named Archippus to have some specific instruction from the Apostle Paul. I mean, we don't know exactly what his work, the word work here could really refer to any type of service. So we don't know exactly what Archippus had to do, but it must have been so encouraging, life-giving for Archippus to hear this from Paul. Hey, complete your job. Do it well. Serve others. But think about this. If you are in Christ, we have received instruction from one, so, someone so much greater than Paul, Jesus himself. He's given us a task to make disciples of all nations. And so we have the opportunity day by day by day to, as we talked about last week, display the gospel with our lives and declare the gospel to others that all people might know the life that we have found in Christ. So whatever it is that God puts before us, I mean, just as we talked about, you say, break this down, how can this really, what does this look like in my life? Well, just as we talked about last week with mission, that we should, as we are going through life, whatever opportunities that God places before us, we should be looking to be missional and be missionaries where we are. The same thing is true with ministry. Wherever God has placed you, look to take advantage of it and serve and invest in ministry to those around you. And then finally, number 12, and this really sums it all up, ministry is about people. Ministry is about people. Let me ask you a question. Do you love people? 
You might say, Tanner, you know, I'm not a people person. I'm not very extroverted. And, you know, I just, I'm not sure how effective I will be in ministry. Well, listen, even if you're not an extrovert, even if, you know, you're not a people person, that doesn't let anyone off the hook, right? God wants to use each of us just as he loves people to invest and give our lives for the sake of others. And so we, we, we see Paul in verses 10 through 15 give these greetings. It's, it says seven different people extend these greetings to one another. In other words, they were welcoming them. They were speaking words of, of kindness to someone else. And, and let me just provide a, a little practical application here for us as a church. People will often visit a church and they will decide to come back and visit again based on how they were welcomed and received. I mean, they may leave and say, man, that sermon and that music, man, it was banging. I loved it, but no one even said hi to me except for, you know, the people that were placed at the doors doing their job. Or the flip side of that could be the case. Like, man, that sermon and the music, sorry, Micah, uh, it was pathetic. That wouldn't be the case. It was pathetic, but you know what? Because people cared about me, because they came up and learned my name and heard what my story is all about, man, I want to come back to that church. They seem to have a true sense of community. So I think we do a decent job with this as a church, but let me encourage us. Let's do a better job. And one way that you, we can do a better job is simply by getting here a few minutes early. Like don't show up when 10.30 service, like at 10.35, like we're kind of good at, I understand that. But let's show up at 10.20. Let's stay a few minutes late and get to know those who are coming and spending their Sunday morning with us in worship. And then and there's one final expression that we see how uh, someone opened their heart up to someone else. And that was the example of Nympha here. In verse 15, it says that to, to greet Nympha and the church in her house. In other words, Nympha opened up her life, shared her resources so that the church could meet in her house. She practiced hospitality. She opened up her life, her home, so that others might be blessed. Ministry is about people. So let's see. Jeremy, run back, and I want to just cap these again, these principles for ministry. I know that there are a lot here, but hopefully as you, as you think about your life and think about how you're spending your life, that we can take these principles, that ministry is for everyone, Ministry involves extending a second chance. Ministry is about serving. Ministry includes encouragement. It's a group project. It might include suffering. Ministry is work. It should be covered in prayer. It aims for maturity. It's filled with temptation. It's about fulfilling what God puts before us. And ministry is about people. Look, I know that's a lot 
to cover and one sermon is like probably the first 12 point sermon that I've ever preached and maybe the first 12 point sermon that you've ever heard. But I think that if we can collectively take these and say, you know what? God can use me, just ordinary me, to be a blessing, to serve others, to invest my life into the life of someone else for their spiritual good. Man, God can really use this church to make a difference in Medford and greater Boston and even to the ends of the earth. So let's be a church that is about ministry, ministering together for the sake of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this text. Thank you that we can learn so much even from a passage like Colossians 4, 7 through 18. And Father, it's, it's my prayer that these wouldn't simply be words on a page or kind of a good idea that we hear for 35 minutes or so, but that we would take these principles and that you would work them into our hearts and that we would begin or continue or more faithfully be about serving others and investing our life into others for your glory and for their good. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.